This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Have you ever thought about recording your own podcast? I know it took me a long time to get around to it, mostly because I was worried about the how-to, the equipment I might need, the editing that needed to be done. Well, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. They have all sorts of creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone and computer. That great music you hear on my podcast is from Anchor. It was provided to me for free. I, I select it and add it to the podcast. I'm done. I've also been able to edit my podcast. They have easy features that make it smooth and pain-free to cut and remove certain parts of your podcast if you need to take them out or just add things. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard in places like Spotify and Apple, and you can even connect up other places like Stitcher. That's what I did. You can also make money off of your podcast. They give you a way to connect with sponsors it's really everything you need, and it's particularly great for people who are worried about the technical side of making a podcast. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello and welcome to another episode from the Tell Me This podcast. I am your host, Carrie Borkowski. It is our sixth episode. I cannot believe we're on episode six. And in the episode today, we're going to be talking about belonging as a goal. Um, so Tell Me This is a podcast on belonging. Um, this idea that in order to truly belong, we have to learn to be our true authentic selves, to be able to walk into a space and be ourselves. Um, and be accepted and valued by others, be seen by others. So it's really a reciprocity that's happening here with respect to belonging. That is, we, you know, we feel like we belong to a space, um, but we're also able to cultivate belonging in and for others. And, and on this podcast, we've talked a lot about what belonging is, what it isn't, what it looks like, um, and some ideas on what we might do as facilitators, learners, educators to cultivate belonging in our classrooms and in all those spaces and our meeting places and our community organizations. And in today's episode, um, it really comes out of this natural conversation we've had over the past month. Um, and I've really asked you, you know, I've, I've, I've asked you, encouraged you and challenged you and really myself to make time. I keep saying, you know, take the time, be intentional um, but what do we what do we do with this space once we've created it? So if we're able to be intentional, what does that really mean, and where do we start? Um, and so on today's podcast, um, we're going to talk about this. 
I did want to take a second to celebrate. As I said, this is episode six, and I've really appreciated all the feedback and well wishes I've gotten from um, many people who are listening out there. I wanted to also remind you that we did, or I did launch my uh, website last week. It is whatsourstory.com. So it's www.whatsourstory.com. And on this website, we will have, I will have the podcast episodes and I've also started a blog. The blog is related to the podcast, but a little bit different um, in, in the stories that I'm sharing. Um, and I'm trying to drop a new um, post every Thursday. So please check that out if you haven't already and, and drop me a comment or a note. I'd love to hear from you. So on today's episode, as I said, we're going to really talk about what it means to be intentional. What do we mean by those words? And then when we do carve out that time in our calendar and in our lives and maybe in our meetings, what in the world do we do with that space? So we'll talk about first the attributes or conditions that are important to growing a sense of belonging. So when you have that intentional space created, what sort of setting do you need to create to, to sort of start the, the ball rolling, if you will? Um, we will also talk specifically about a few ways that we could start this process. I'll give you some some tips, some specific activities that you could try in your meetings, in your classrooms. Um, and we'll also talk about this idea of why it's important to make a plan to do something. Um, we'll also share in that uh, segment of the podcast, I'll also talk about um, an article that I found that talks about why why it's important to make a plan and what happens when you do make a plan. So, so today's episode, episode six, belonging as a goal, conditions that we think are important for sort of facilitating this idea of belonging. We'll talk about a few strategies or examples of how to start cultivating that belonging and use that intentional space that you were able to create. And then also spend a bit of time talking about why it is so important to make that plan um, and to really build it into your regular schedule. So thanks so much for listening and I'll be right back. Okay, so I'm back. Episode six, Belonging as a Goal. And as I always like to start out the show, I will start out with a few stories. Um, remember on this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the conditions that we think are important or I think are important for setting the stage, if you will, for cultivating belonging or building belonging in your in your spaces. Um, to talk about some strategies for starting that process and then also why in the world do we even need to be intentional? So we'll talk about why it's so important to make a plan. So when I was thinking about stories for this week and sort of fitting them into the theme, the things that kept popping up um, were sort of moments as a kid that I did some planning or saw some planning, you know, being modeled for me. And so these are sort of, you know, three little maybe mini stories or vignettes, if you will. So the first one that automatically popped into my mind, um, this is when my brother and I were, oh my gosh, we were probably in... I'm thinking about the house we were living in, so um, probably elementary to middle school. And we, living in Maryland, we used to make that sort of big trip to the beach every year. So, you know, when you're a kid, 
you know, the beach where, where we lived, the sort of ocean beach was about, I don't know, two to two and a half hours away, of course, with traffic, because we always rented from Saturday to Saturday, it was closer to three or four hours. So, so it always felt like a big trip, even though we weren't leaving the state and it was, you know, really local beaches. And what we did as kids is we were required to save our own money, um, you know, to have spending money because in, in where we went in the beaches, there was a boardwalk so we could, you know, spend it on, I don't know, some sort of souvenir or we could go to when I was a kid, there were arcades still. So you would drop a quarter in to play Miss Pac-Man. I'm dating myself probably. So what we started doing when we were kids is my mom had this old Pringles can. Um, really, it looks much like the Pringles can today. Um, we had a red can. Um, and eventually, it, we started out with the top as well. But eventually, as you'll see from the story, we got rid of the top. But what we did is, from the moment we got home, so if we went, we typically rent around 4th of July for a week or so. So when we got home, you know, that, I don't know, third week of July, we would start saving. And so in that Pringles can, my brother and I would drop, you know, pennies, quarters, mostly pennies, really, um, of change that we would find or we could sort of scour from our parents' pockets, our grandparents' pockets, wherever we could find it. And so throughout the year, we would save this money. And so we made a plan. We knew we were going on vacation that next summer. And so we intended to save that money. We would drop it in the Pringles can. And then as that Pringles can would fill up, we would, and now I'm really dating myself, we would actually go to the bank and we would get those little penny rolls. If any of you remember, I think it was like 50 cent rolls. And my brother and I would dump out the Pringles can and we would literally, you know, create those little rolls into tubes, right? Those cylinder tubes and drop 50 pennies. Yes, we would sit there on the floor and count them and then tuck in the, the ends and we would have 50 cents. And so every so often we would do that. We would collect it. And then right before we would go on our beach trip, my mom would take us to the bank with this big wad of, you know, rolls of 50 cent and the teller would give us the cash, whatever, however much it was. And my brother and I would, would, would split it. So that's just something that I remember in terms of planning for a trip and knowing that we were going to need spending money. The second vignette that I remember very vividly is my grandparents lived on the water. Um, so they, um, they had a house right on the water with a pier, this wood pier. And in Maryland, you know, um, a blue crab is very popular. It's, it's, you know, in the Chesapeake Bay and now luckily they've come back. So they are, they are alive and well and flourishing. So the, the crabs are running, you know, running high, if you will, as they would say in Maryland, um, in the summer months. And so my cousins and I, um, would we loved eating steamed crabs? It's I know for for folks who aren't from Maryland, it probably sounds gross, um, but trust me, um, it's actually quite delicious. And so, my grandparents had this crab box, and it's literally this box that's like the bottom of it is 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 a cage, like almost like chicken wire at the bottom of it, and then it's a wooden box that floats in the water. And what you would do is you would catch the crabs and you would put them in this box because you didn't, you don't just, you know, you don't go through the whole process of steaming just a couple. You have to get, my grandmother always said you had to have, you know, 24 or 36, so two to three dozen of, for her, for it to make it worthwhile for her to steam them. So we had a plan. Um, my cousins and I would lay down on the pier and this is the way you used to do it as a kid. And you would take a line 
and you would put a weight on that line so that the line would go underwater and you would use a chicken neck. My grandmother always kept frozen chicken necks in her freezer. I know, again, if you're not from Maryland, this sounds very weird, um, but you put the chicken neck on the line with the weight under it and you would tie the uh, line to the pier with like a little nail and toss it in and you would watch that line and as that line got taut, you could tell that there was a crab on that line. So one of you would be slowly and quietly pulling in that line while the other person um, would be laying also on their belly with a net in the water. And you would quickly scoop it. And if you had a crab, if you were lucky enough to catch the crab, you would toss it into the, the crab box. Why am I telling you this story? Because if you haven't figured out already, these vignettes are about planning, right? Being intentional. This is what this podcast is about, right? We just said uh, belonging as a goal. And so we were determined as kids to be able to catch those two or three dozen in a, on a weekend afternoon or a summer, summer day afternoon. And so we would sit there. We would lay there for several hours. And once we finished scooping, you know, 24 to 36, we would holler up to my grandmother and she would usually, if there was enough time left in the day, she would come down and get those crabs and steam them for us. So we had a goal, we made that plan, and we got to work. The other vignette that I that I remembered as I was preparing for this podcast was something that my grandparents, I think they said to me, I don't even know how many times, and we all remember it, my cousins, it's just this mantra that's, again, part of the Downey way. And what they always said was, save a little, spend a little, give a little. And this was just something that they, again, it was a mantra um, to save a little, spend a little, give a little. And in every way that they lived their lives, it's it came through. Um, they were, you know, they would store away a bit of their earnings, a bit of, um, you know, whatever money they had. They would certainly spend a little. Um, you know, they bought their, their, um, place in Florida and they treated themselves to, I don't know, a snow cone or an ice cream cone. They loved dessert and they were generous. They would give a little. And in every sort of every way that they lived their lives, you could see this mantra reflected back at you, saving a little, spending a little, giving a little. And so it's a short one. It's not a long story, but I think it fits really nicely with this, the theme of this podcast today. Um, because it really is this idea that if you, we can talk about being intentional about belonging, we can talk about being intentional about listening to somebody, um, but how are you enacting it? What does it look like? How is How are you able to reflect back that mantra regarding belonging um, to people in your life? Um, and, and how do, how will people see that? Because um, I can tell you that, like, if you ask any one of my cousins or my mom's sisters or brother, you know, about a mantra of my grandparents, I bet you maybe it might, might not be the first one, certainly the first or second one that they would say, cause they just, that's just the way they lived. And so, you know, tell me this, if you, if you, if you're committed to belonging, um, and this is something that matters to you, you know, how can you reflect that mattering, that value back to important people in your lives, to your students, to your, your neighbors. And so just something to think about being intentional. So when we come back, we'll first, um, in order to, to sort of build that mantra and, and get to that point of being able to reflect back those feelings to others, we need to talk about those conditions or maybe the settings or the context that really helps to cultivate 
um, that sense of belonging. So when we come back, we will get to the attributes and conditions that I think are important to growing a sense of belonging and perhaps also contribute to creating a climate of belongingness in ourselves, but also in our communities. So hope you'll stick around. Thanks. Okay, so we were just talking a little bit about some short vignettes that really I hope for you um, highlighted the point of or the value of making a plan, um, whether it's, you know, stuffing pennies in a Pringles can or uh, throwing crabs into a crab box so you can make some lunch or just having, you know, simple mantras, save a little, spend a little, give a little, that sort of help you to enact some important values that you hold dear. Um, so as I said, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the conditions that are important to growing a sense of belonging, and then we'll get into the strategies that you might enact. And then also we'll wrap up with um, a discussion of why it's important to make a plan and then some empirical evidence to support um, what I'm thinking about with respect to goal setting. So tell me this, you know, when we think about, um, you know, people that make us feel like we belong when we say, oh, you know, that, that community or that setting, they really saw me today, or they really, they really valued my voice. Um, and when I think I've told you in earlier episodes, the feeling that I used to get being around my grandparents and, and that feeling that would stay with me after I left my grandparents, uh, presence, you know, what was that and, and how did it sort of get there and manifest? And I think, um, I've been giving this a little bit of thought and and wondering if there aren't conditions or factors or features of different settings that are really important um, to growing a sense of belonging or a climate of belonging. Um, I was reading some articles in preparation for the podcast, and specifically they talk about institutions and organizations or universities that, you know, are often dominated by values such as competition. Um, you know, independence, really being sort of a self-starter, being very self-important, um, or even this idea of worldliness as opposed to being spiritual, as opposed to being collaborative instead of competitive, you know, or interdependent instead of independent. And so, um, you know, how do, what are those, those, I don't know, features of a setting that we think are important to cultivating belonging. Cause I mean, you know, as well as I do, you can't just jump into a community and say, you know, okay, we're going to, we're really, we're just going to get in there and build belonging. Right. It just, it doesn't happen that way. It's, it takes time. It takes cultivation. It takes nurturing and, and care uh, before, before that can happen. So it, it's, 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 a little bit of it's organic, but then again, you also have to be intentional. So what are some of those conditions? Well, I have to tell you, it's hard to find it in the literature. I mean, the literature certainly tells you, you know, what's going on in diff different interventions and what teachers and leaders and organizations are doing. And when they do this stuff, you know, belonging and community and other outcomes result. Um, but but they don't necessarily talk about conditions. And so I think perhaps conditions might refer to things like trust. So you certainly have to establish trust among 
the group members, the individuals, the coworkers, um, the family members, um, whom the teammates, whomever is involved in in those um, discussions or in the in the spaces, right? That are they're in the spaces. I think there also has to be a feeling of mutual respect among the people, but there also has to be. Um, you know, some of the literature talked about this idea of familiarity and perceived similarities. Um, I think we talked a few episodes ago about how being able to hear other people's experiences through stories can really, um, you know, disarm and reduce some of the worry and stress that people feel and, and start to build a sense of belonging. Um, certainly feelings of welcoming right? Um, also play into those settings. Um, and then also a perception of something called cohesion. And this could be taken in, in different ways. So cohesion from the sense of maybe shared values, cohesion in the sense of uh, like-mindedness, or at least being open-minded um, to different viewpoints. Um, other features that I stumbled across in the literature um, and in my own experience is this idea of diverse communities. So cross-cultural, I think this also goes back to famil familiarity and perceived similarities and also welcoming. So if you have some diversity or inclusivity in communities, perhaps those things go hand in hand. Um, there's also a sense of your voice mattering and being valued um, perhaps a reciprocal, right? This reciprocity, and that's where this idea of voice comes in. Um, one article talked about the idea of there being features that include psychological, social, and cultural um, that that may matter. So, um, so yeah. So I know it it is sort of a list, but I did want to get it out there, and I think we'll unpack this a little bit more as we go um, into. Uh, future podcasts, but I think it's important to keep in mind that um, we can certainly enact interventions and strategies to try to build belonging, but that we also have to think about what kinds of settings would set us up to have these important conversations and sometimes hard conversations um, that sort of lead to belonging. So certainly establishing trust, um, being able to establish some mutual respect and creating an inclusive and diverse environment where it's welcoming, that individuals see some similarities or perhaps familiarity, um, they feel a sense of community, and that there's um, a place for their voice, and that they really matter, that they will, they will, you know, there'll be attention that they contribute so that there is some dependence, right? So they feel like people are depending on them um, and that there's some importance in the work that they're bringing, contributing to this space. So um, when we come back, I want to get into some specifics because I know that felt maybe or sounded kind of lofty, you know, to build trust. Like what in the world does that mean? So when we come back um, from a quick break, we will get into uh, the second important piece of this podcast, which is really the strategies. So we'll talk about things that we can really enact. Um, and as you're, as you're <clears throat> listening to this next um, uh, segment of the episode, I hope that you will identify one or two sort of actions or strategies that you can take that perhaps will make a difference. So we'll be right back.
All right, so thanks for sticking around. So I just listed several elements or features or attributes of of a setting that I think will lead to um, a facilitator's ability or a leader's ability to cultivate belonging. So I guess the first segment of the podcast was really to acknowledge that you got to do some pre-work, right? Like you, you can't just sort of jump in and start, start talking about how people belong or that, you know, we, we value you. I mean, you could say that, which is, that's great. But I also think that you need to spend, or <clears throat> we each need to spend some time thinking about how we establish some of these, um, I don't know, these, these elements of a space um, that would even enable us to have hard conversations or to unpack difficult things or to learn something and be okay with failing, right? Because like part of belonging is being able to enter a space and be yourself, right? So if you're, so let's say, for example, you're in a learning space. So you're in a class, for example. Well, part of the belonging is being able to enter that space, learn something new and maybe hard and make a mistake, and be okay with that, right? To be able to grapple with that and wrestle with that with your peers. But I guess what I'm saying in this first segment of the podcast is before you even tackle the learning part, right? Or the project part, if you're on a team or um, any sort of task or goal, there's some pre-work that has to be done um, to establish a, a space that that's amenable to you know, these hard tasks that we have to undertake and, and still sort of sustain or maintain these perceptions of belonging, both for the community and for the individuals. So I think things like trust and respect and perceived similarity and welcoming, all of that has to happen. And we have to spend time on it before we can even start on whatever the task at hand is, whether you're a, t you know, a project team in a work setting a lesson that you're trying to learn in a school setting, a community goal that you have at a PTO or a church group or a synagogue or um, your, I don't know, whatever community group it might be. So so this, the first segment is really just to think about that pre-work that has to happen over time um, in order to, to sustain or maintain a sense of belonging while you're actually doing some sort of particular task. <clears throat> So this, the second segment, as I was saying, gets to that second lesson, which is about, you know, strategies that we might use, right? We could talk specifically about a few ways um, that we could start this process of belonging. Um, and so to do this pre-work or to start this idea of building trust and establishing that everybody has a voice and being welcoming, there are things that we can do as leaders, as facilitators, as communities to work on this, um, this setting. And so the first one I wanted to talk about was this idea of disarming dialogue. Um, it sounds really like this big, um, hard thing to do, but actually, um, in practice it's, it's, it's much, 
it's easier than you think. I won't say that it's it's easy because it every all of this is difficult or we would already be doing it, right? What I'm referring to here with disarming dialogue is I would encourage you to think about the language we use when we communicate, how we communicate. So, you know, oftentimes when I was when I first started out teaching, you know, I would plan and plan and plan because I was hoping that I would know enough and anticipate enough that my students would never think I made a mistake and they would never know that sometimes I don't have the answer. What I've I've come to find out, however, is that I can I can really be in a space and not worry so much about having that answer if I change my language to, you know, if a student, for example, if a student asks me a question and maybe I don't have the answer because my students ask really good questions and I don't always have the answer. So I may respond, instead of panicking, I may respond by saying, you know, I'm really curious about this or I'm wondering about this. Can we talk, can we unpack it a little bit more? Or I'll say, tell me this, right? So it's, it becomes a tell me this kind of conversation versus a, I don't know, or, um, gosh, I'm wrong. And, and, and my own feelings of belonging sort of diminish, right? Cause I'm feeling like I'm not enough that I've made a mistake, um, that this student, this student thinks that I don't know anything. How can I be the teacher, et cetera. And the other thing that it does is it models that kind of reaction in our students that we don't have to know everything. So disar- disarming dialogue could be as simple as shifting to a rather than being panicked about not having an answer to something or being panicked about um, how you might react to someone in a conversation. So let's say you're you're in a conversation with someone and you disagree with them. You know, there's a chance that this could result in an argument. Well, the way to disarm that dialogue is to say, instead of sort of striking back, you could talk about your curiosity or your wondering or your, your, you would, you need them to unpack this a little bit, right? So a tell me this kind of conversation versus a, a, an argument of some sort. I also think avoiding a simple word like but and talking about and and I say this, and I don't know how many of you have heard this before, but I heard, I have heard say that when you use the word but, you're often telling the person that was just talking that, you know, you just said all this stuff, but now I'm going to tell you what it's really all about, or I'm going to tell you what it really means, just kind of ignoring what you just said. It's not always easy to avoid that word because it's so natural that it comes out, but if you can use the word and or in addition, or, you know, just, just jump in and say something rather than saying, but I think you'll find that it again, changes the tone of the conversation. The other thing I would say, um, two other things I would say in terms of dialogue is I often start, I have often, uh, spent a little bit of time thanking someone for their contribution rather than focusing first on the content of their contribution. So if, if I ask a question or I'm facilitating a discussion, one of the first things I usually say is, you know, I really appreciate you being willing to go first. Or I really appreciate you being so honest and sharing something. So rather than focusing on the content, I'm focusing on the fact that this person was willing to put themselves out there, that they were willing to contribute um, because it focuses first on that strength. It pays gratitude and honors 
again, their just contribution. At that moment, it doesn't matter as much what they actually said, but that they were willing to come forward and say something. And then you can talk about the content. And I, I, ha- I can tell you from my own experience, if you start with gratitude, it makes the rest of the conversation much more interesting and often easier, especially if you have to, you know, as a as an instructor, if you have to critique or offer a little bit of constructive feedback, it makes it much easier for the person to receive it because you've already sincerely acknowledged that you appreciate their contribution. So um, trying to use words like being curious or wondering, or unpacking, and tell me this. So having a tell me this kind of conversation, when you can, a- avoiding a word like "but" so that you show that you're not ignoring what someone just said. Often showing gratitude or thanking someone for their contribution. And the last one with respect to dialogue, which is related to the gratitude part, is just showing enthusiasm and excitement, maybe for an unexpected answer. So one way to sort of respond to to an answer that, or a question that you're not sure of, or an answer that you weren't, you know, expecting is, as I said, is to be curious. But the other way you could respond is to get really excited and and interested and say, wow, you know, that's a really different perspective. I mean, honestly, part of you might be like, oh my goodness, I don't even know what this person's talking about. But instead of saying that or just sitting with that feeling, remember that it's really interesting that they have a totally different perspective than you do and see if you can't find some common ground. So being genuinely curious and excited that they came from a different perspective and that they were willing to share that after what you said was very different, all of those things together can make for a much more pleasant and often much more interesting dialogue. And it certainly, um, you know, again, remember what the point is, is to think about things like trust and building community and relationships and respect and that there are, there's a perception of cohesion and that they matter. And so some of this action is to build that sort of setting, um, (coughs) for future endeavors. Um, other things that you can think about, um, tell me this, when you are facilitating a discussion or a meeting or a class, how do you start a meeting? Do you check in with your your coworkers or your students or with your colleagues? Um, have you ever thought about asking everyone, you know, quickly go around the room and just to sh- share some success for the day or for the week? Um, have you ever asked a coworker what they're worried about related to this meeting, what they're concerned about related to the upcoming project? Have you had that kind of conversation with your colleagues or with your students? I can tell you that, again, doing this pre-work before you get into the tasks of the day or the to-do list or the agenda, having that quick conversation can make all the difference in the discussion you have with your team. And believe me, I know, I know what people are going to say. They're going to say, but it takes time and we only have an hour to meet and I really don't want to waste, you know, 10 or 15 minutes doing that kind of stuff. Well, I can tell you that wasting, and I'm using air quotes, wasting that five, 10, 15 minutes, you know, with, with your colleagues or with your students or with your faculty or your community members and sharing a few successes or talking about what you're worried about can make the meeting so much more fruitful. People come to the table 
um, just in a much better headspace, ready to share and ready to roll up their sleeves and get to work. So next time you're starting a meeting, next time you're at a community um, conversation, or next time you're in your classroom, check in with your students, check in with your colleagues. Even if you just get a couple of people to share, um, that's better than just jumping into the agenda. Just try it. A couple of other things you could try with respect to doing the work. Um, certainly, we've talked about this before, and you know already that I'm a big believer in it, but um, Greg Walton and Walton and Brady in a recent article, it's called Handbook of Wise Interventions, talks about the power of stories and this idea of telling a story, you know, what are some of your challenges to belonging and really articulating those how were you able to improve or how were you able to overcome, you know, those sort of inadequate feelings or not feeling like you belong? What were some of your successes? And then saying is believing they, they talk about in this article, which is to describe your own transition. So how did you move from these challenges that you were facing or these barriers to belonging into a better space? And what does this mean with respect to future expectations or future experiences? So being able to sort of be forward thinking about it. Um, and we talked earlier in an earlier uh, episode about how storytelling among peers, you know, about sort of their successes, their struggles and how they overcame those struggles to successes can really make all the difference. In the next part of the podcast, we're going to talk more about the power of writing, but certainly journal writing can be important. In last week's episode, I mentioned mesero and disorienting dilemmas, certainly being tuned into those moments and doing some critical reflection um, in sort of the form of journal writing can be really powerful um, when thinking about building um, trust and, and community and, and sharing that out so that you build some self-understanding um, you know, you can even change some of your own beliefs. And finally, and we'll talk, I will, I'm going to invite a guest on hopefully in a future, or a future podcast episode soon on this idea of bridging media. A colleague and myself wrote an article and actually did a conference, a presentation on this idea of bridging media, which is really the idea of a shared referent in the form of videos like YouTubes and TED Talks that can really go a long way to facilitating some of these ideas that we're talking about, being able to move conversations off of an individual so that it's not so personal onto a story or experience of someone else. Um, this, this, what we have found is also is that students and individuals and organizations who are familiar with TED Talks and podcasts, it makes it much easier to ease into a setting that's that's unusual and unfamiliar and often difficult. So it makes that transition a little bit smoother. It makes dialogue more manageable. And also there's a familiarity. So if you're listening to, um, I don't know, a principal in a school or a leader of an organization giving a TED Talk on a particular topic, your ability to connect with those experiences can also lead to feelings of belonging and, and um, connection. So, so we'll talk a little bit more about bridging media later, but these are just ideas, you know, in addition to sort of how do you start a meeting, but things that you can do to also cultivate these settings, you know, storytelling, journal writing, and using TED Talks and podcasts or bridging media um, to get some of these conversations going or to unpack complicated ideas. Um, yeah, they're just, again, a few ideas to think about 
when facilitating discussions, when running meetings, when organizing groups of individuals, whether it's changing the way in which you engage with someone, giving gratitude for their contributions, or actually having them do some storytelling. These are just a few ways to sort of work on those conditions that we talked about with belonging. So when we come back, or when I come back, um, we will talk about goal setting and that last sort of theme for the podcast, which is why does planning matter? So if we talk about being intentional, why does this matter? Um, and, and what sort of effect does it have on our outcomes with respect to belonging? So I hope you'll stick around for the last part of the episode. Um, thanks. This is Carrie Borkowski with Tell Me This and Episode 6, Belonging as a Goal. And I'll be right back for the next segment. Thanks. Okay, as I promised, I would be back with the third lesson or theme for the podcast, which is about uh, goal setting and this idea of why it's important to make a plan. Well, you know as well as I do, we are all so crazy busy. The question I have, or tell me this, is are you productively busy? And what do you spend your time on? Like, what are you doing with your time? Um, you know, are we worried that if we're not busy, we'll actually take a moment for something other than work, our kids, our house-related stuff, that something's wrong with us? You know, do we get our, um, I don't know, our confidence, our self-worth from saying that we're busy or feeling like we're busy? I don't, I don't really know. I just know that we tend to be crazy busy, each of us, and we often, you know, when you say how you're doing, I often hear people say, oh, I'm just so busy today, right? I mean, I say it all the time too. I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody else. Um, so I say all this to remind us that we each need a plan for cultivating our own belonging and those around us. Because if we don't make a plan, honestly, our time, our efforts, our, our, desire to be intentional, it'll just get swallowed up by everything else, right? I mean, think about that to-do list. Um, if I think about my to-do list, you know, I have sort of the fires that I'm putting out that are at the top of the to-do list, and then everything else sort of falls to the bottom. And I worry that if I don't make belonging or these things that we've talked about, building trust and familiarity and welcoming feelings to my communities and to my students, if I don't make those a priority, they will fall to the bottom of the to-do list and probably I'll never have a chance to sort of check them off or scratch them off. The other thing about making a plan that's important is it sets some sort of accountability, right? So announcing it publicly, you know, saying that you're attending to this, right? And part of, um, I think part of doing the podcast and setting up the website really is holding me accountable um, and building it into my um, work life and my personal life. And also I share with my students how important this part of teaching is because it's announcing that plan. I mean, think about it. How, how many of you have ever, I don't know, run some sort of race, right? Or done a bike race or decided you were going to take piano lessons or guitar lessons? How many of you, when you, you know, after a while, after you sat with it by yourself for a while, how, how many of you finally told a family member or told your spouse or told a group of friends. I mean, why do you tell those folks? Well, it's because announcing the plan makes you accountable. So, you know, we need to make a plan because we're so darn busy. 
And if we don't, it'll fall off. We also need to announce that plan because once we do that, it sends some accountability. And actually, if you look in the literature around goal setting, you know, it's important for self-regulation and behavior change, which is what we're talking about, right? Like, how do you manage sort of what you're doing and what you will accomplish um, if you don't set goals, right? So goal setting can have unique effects on behavior in many domains. It can affect your personal goals for your current or future lives. And that's in an article that I'm actually going to talk about in a little while by Shippers, Morisano, Locke, Sheepers, Latham, and, and DeJong. This was 2020, so super recent. And I apologize if I got any of those names wrong. But goal setting can contribute to having a sense of meaning, can give direction to your daily life. And, you know, if you if you don't have some sort of clear direction now, this article talks about how it can it can contribute to academic struggles. But I would posit that not having a clear direction in the context of belonging, well, you're going to either struggle to create self-belonging or feelings of self-belonging, but you're also going to struggle to create that belonging for others in your in your spaces. So it seems to me that goal setting, identifying a plan, checking on in on the plan is really important. And the other piece that's important about goal setting is how do you do that goal setting? And there was an article that I found, um, it was just in a magazine that talked about how being specific and challenging was important, right? So not to make a goal, like do your best, right? To be really specific. So, um, and they also talked about process versus outcome. And the example was, you know, it's it would be more effective to talk about walking four days a week versus lowering b- blood pressure. So when you're thinking about the goals, really being able to. So when I say being intentional, maybe that's not the best goal to have. It's actually how will you be in- intentional? So what does that process look like? Right. Maybe so maybe for me, it is changing the way that I engage with people in my life, right? So changing the language that I use from the segment before or thinking about a particular practice that I might use in meetings with my students, right? Being really great, uh, grateful for their contributions and their honesty. So thinking about process versus outcome. There's also a recommendation that these goals be moderately challenging. So you don't want to set the bar so low that it's not even worth your time because it's like, ugh, that's so easy. But you also don't want to set it so hard that you're never going to accomplish that. So, you know, if if you're a type A person like myself, you know, perfection is not the goal here. So finding some sort of middle ground with respect to cultivating belonging is, is a good place to be. Um, also that the goal is important. So when you think about your values, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about value setting, like identifying a value or two that matters to you. So, so cultivating belonging, I mean, I hope if you're listening to the podcast, this stuff does matter to you. So maybe that's a given, but I think it's worth reminding us that goals really can only be accomplished, um, if, if they matter and if they're important and also that they're attainable. So, being specific and challenging, but not so challenging that you get frustrated, so moderately challenging. It's got to be something important that matters to you, and it's often better to focus on the process. So how will you accomplish this goal, not what will be the outcome, like lowering blood blood, blood pressure um, or cultivating belonging, like being really specific about that goal. Like today I'm going to write in my journal um, or I'm going to 
um, I don't know, go to a story slam and get into and get into that a little bit, or I'm just going to engage with my colleagues or my classmates or my community members in a different way. If you're a leader or someone who facilitates lots of meetings, then maybe you try one of those strategies where you start out the meeting with one of those questions or those prompts that I talked about. Regardless, it seems like hopefully you buy it that setting goals is important. So making a plan, whether it's, again, filling up that Pringles can with with pennies, if it's coming up with a mantra that works for you, save a little, spend a little, give a little. But certainly the literature shows, and I have seen in myself and in my students, that if you set a goal that's reasonable, that you care about, that is process-focused, that it can make all the difference in you know, how you, how you live, how you work, how you, if you want to change a behavior, being able to change that behavior. So I think a plan does matter. And when we come, when I come back, I'm going to talk really briefly about a research article that actually put this to the test. So thanks for sticking around. Well, I'll be right back. Okay. Welcome back. So tell me this. How can we turn being intentional, something I've been saying for many episodes, and I'm I'm not sorry I said it because it's led us to episode six, which is great, but I'm realizing that this wasn't a great goal. Um, there was a good intention there, haha. Um, but really being intentional, um, how do we turn being intentional into a goal? So this article I'm getting ready to talk about tells us that it should be attainable, as I said, important, specific, maybe process-oriented. Um, so maybe some of my call to actions have been a little bit too vague, so I'm going to work on that for you. Um, but if you think about, um, we're going to think about this article. So it's called Writing About Personal Goals and Plans Regardless of Goal Type Boosts Academic Performance. And this is that Shippers et al. article I mentioned in the previous segment. It was in 2020. So Really briefly, they did, these group of researchers actually did a randomized control trial, um, so an experiment essentially, and they were trying to show that goal setting, whether it was academic or non-academic, and actually they showed that it didn't matter what kind of goal it was, that that being intentional about setting these goals increased academic performance for the cohorts that that went through the, the goal setting intervention. We're going to talk about this. So... They talked about how writing about the goals, not just listing goals, but really writing intensely and in some detail could have some effect. And then sharing these goals. Remember we talked early about making your goal public and announcing it. It created some accountability for the individuals. So this intervention that these researchers implemented included three pieces. Um, the students who were involved were to write descriptive and detailed writing about values, passions, and their ideal future. They needed to come up with a detailed goal attainment plan, so to visualize strategies to overcome some obstacle or obstacles. And then they had to publicly present the plan, and they talk about the different ways that they could do this. So there were almost 3,000 first-year students in an undergraduate university, so they were about 19 And there were two goal-setting cohorts and two control groups. So essentially, there were two groups of students who went through that goal-setting intervention and two groups who did not. And as I said, the goal type, it it was any any goal 
um, you know, versus an academic goal. And what the results show is that first, the majority of the students completed the intervention stages. So those three stages were not um, so burdensome that the students skipped them. They also found that students wrote about a variety of goals, academic, career, social, even like physical and mental health. And that they actually showed that there were positive effects of life and the goal setting intervention actually improved academic performance of the students who participated by 20%. So they had 20% higher performance academically. And it seems that these goals and strategies seemed certainly to be related to this better performance. They, they also argued Interestingly, that the goals didn't have to be academic in nature for them to improve academic performance. And they attributed this to something I had never heard of, but it's called goal contagion. And it was this idea that if you express a goal, so if you get, if you sort of get in the habit of setting goals, um, even if it's in general terms, it tended to sort of, they called it priming the attainment of other goals. So it sort of set these students, you know, on a path to achieve other goals. And so you might imagine that, that I would love to hypothesize that if we did some goal setting, um, even if it was just, again, general goal setting, that getting in that sort of mindset might lead us to also set goals around cultivating belonging. And so, It seems that these authors, these researchers could conclude that writing about goals led to better academic performance. So I would love, I don't have the the sort of data to support this, but I'm going to take a leap and say that wouldn't it be interesting to think that if we wrote about goals related to belonging, whether they're our own goals about our own belonging or our, our goals about our belonging for our community members, our students, our family that it could lead to better <clears throat> outcomes for belonging. And um, I'd like to believe that's true, and, and I'm going to believe that's true. And so it, it's it's a long-winded way to say, I think if we were intentional, and by intentional I mean if we were really clear about setting some goals that were clear and attainable and important and process-oriented that perhaps we could put a dent in, um, some of the the low feelings of belonging that people in our spaces feel. So, so something to think about. So I wanted to wrap up today by reminding us, reminding you guys that we talked about several things today. We, we talked about these conditions that, that I think are important to building belonging. So I was really calling it sort of the pre-work, right? That you can't just sort of jump into these spaces and get into sort of the task at hand, whether it's learning something in a classroom or starting a project or, or just sort of tackling a to-do list in an organization, it's really important to establish trust and that you're all a part of a community and that voices will be included. And this really goes along with the group goals that we talked about early in an earlier episode. And again, just doing that pre-work before the the work of the group, I think can go a long way. Even though it does take time away from those work sessions, I think investing early um, on that front end can really make the work uh, better, deeper, more transparent and authentic in the long run. We also talked about some specific ways that we could start this project. So whether it's we become more aware of the language that we're using, being curious and being uh, like being able to unpack something. So I was calling it this sort of tell me this kind of conversation versus, 
you know, being defensive or worrying about a particular conversation, starting a meeting with a discussion prompt or a conversation, and just remembering to show gratitude and interest and excitement when people contribute and also when they bring a completely different perspective. And finally, we talked about why it's so important to make a plan. So I can tell you to be intentional and remind you that we all need to be intentional, but really it comes down to goal setting and planning and being really specific about those goals, making it attainable and important and something that you care about. So the challenge for the week, I bet you can figure it out. Make a goal. Write about that goal. Write a lot about the goal if you can. Not just a list. Like Write out some details. I don't know. Spend a little time every day this week writing about, identify a goal and write about it, what you might do, how you might strategize to, to accomplish that goal. And if you accomplish that goal, what, what next week would look like. Um, from accomplishing that goal. Give it a try. The other thing I would do once you write down that goal, find someone you trust and share it. Share it publicly with a friend or you can share it with me at kerryborkowski at gmail.com. You can also leave me a comment on my new website, www.whatsourstory.com. I would love to hear what goal you have for yourself this week. So thanks so much for listening. This is Tell Me This, episode six belonging as a goal. Thanks so much for listening and stay tuned for episode seven next week. And don't forget this Thursday, uh, it's the second blog blog post will drop, drop on the website. So thanks again, everybody. Take care. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.